movies have impacted people in so many different ways in life. And one of the most beautiful things is that the medium is so democratized now that anyone right. can see movies. And if you get out a very honest story and you can share that perspective with even just a couple thousand people, mm -hmm. like if you're just changing their minds on something or giving them just a new perspective or new yeah. opinion. Posing a question. Posing a question and just making them think a little bit more. It, I think that could change the way people view the world. My name is West Givens, and welcome back to the Tungsten Originals podcast. You just heard part of my conversation with writer, director, and DP Joe Russ. We discussed his biggest learning experiences as a filmmaker, his work as a DP on my latest short film, Blueberries, and the impact he hopes to have as a producer at Tungsten. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 76 of the Tungsten Originals podcast. Joe, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? It is going well. It's going well. This is an exciting setup. This is by far the prettiest episode we've ever had. So thank you for doing this. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> um, we are in town in Mississippi, my hometown, uh, to work on Blueberries, which was going to be my thesis film at SCAD, but COVID happened and then it couldn't be. But you're the DP of it. And so uh, we're finally filming that next month. So that's why we are together in person. Haven't done an in-person episode of this podcast in a very long time. So this is exciting. Um, but if you're listening to the audio only version, you should check over to the video version on our YouTube channel because we've got a nice setup here in my grandmother's home. So uh, I feel like we're doing a little fireside chat Hollywood reporter chat. Um, so yeah, but this is exciting. I appreciate you helping set this up. Um, so Joe. West. <laughs> um, I heard of you. We've talked about this a lot. <laughs> I, I like knew of you for like all of SCAD, I feel like. And um, we didn't become friends until senior year. But I had multiple people telling me all the time, like you and Joe would be great friends like you would like joe a lot all that kind of stuff and then um i remember meeting you like at one of the film buildings because i had a like senior one over at the savannah film studios but i don't remember how you got like brought on to blueberries or anything like that so i'm just trying before we dive into your history mm -hmm. i'm trying to like remember exactly how we met and became close I would like to meet these people that told you that and it was tell a them, lot. It was multiple people and tell them how wrong they were. <laughs> we hate each other. <laughs> this doesn't work. This doesn't work at all. <laughs> um, but aside from us, you know, clashing and always headbutting and yelling at each other in the screaming matches. Right. Um, you know, this is can, a lot we, of effort. We to can not... work through our differences. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know if there was ever really an interaction between you and I before senior year yeah i don't think there was never had a class together yeah never yeah no i mean i had seen your work i had seen mm -hmm. 38 or i hadn't seen the full 38 but, but like, i'd seen the trailer yeah, yeah. the kickstarter indiegogo and i had seen your work just from element and seeing oh yeah tungsten not many was, people have seen element so well that's i remember a, that's a deep cut <laughs> <laughs> i i've seen you from the beginning 
wow. the ground up. And, wow. uh, and you still want to work with me. That's, yeah. That's no, I mean, I really admire the work that Tungsten does and what you stand mm-hmm. for and what uh, you like hope to achieve with Tungsten is yeah. rising up uh, or raising up independent filmmakers. And mm-hmm. that's something that I think is a, a very novel pursuit. Yeah. Well, you know, it's exciting to officially have you on the Tungsten team as a producer. Um, but yeah, I appreciate all the, all those kind words. It's definitely echoed back to you. Of course, your work as a DP was like, um, in the film zeitgeist at SCAD, a lot of people threw your name around. So, um, but I still don't know much about like how you became a filmmaker and all that kind of stuff. I've obviously, we've gotten close working on blueberries and tungsten, obviously, but, um, take me back to the beginning. When did Joe Russ become a filmmaker? And when did this start becoming something you wanted to like do seriously? Um, I think it was when I was watching uh, the Temple of Doom special features when I was probably like nine years old. Yeah. And I was watching how they came up with the minecart chase and there was like little miniatures and uh, they were just showing how they painted tinfoil to look like rocks. And I was like, I could do this in my garage. Like they're doing stuff that I could easily do. And so I started watching special features on every movie that I got. And I probably watched special features more than I watched the movie themselves. Right. <laughs> and so I was just falling in love with what was this process of making movies. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is just what I want to do. I want to do this. And I started attending like these film summer camps where you would like make a movie in a week. And right. it, was, it was just this thing that I really loved doing, even from a very young age. Um, not that I was making like films with any coherent story back then, (laughs) Yeah, but it was, you know, grabbing my family's camera and shooting whatever I could with my Mm -hmm. neighborhood friends, my brother, my sister making stop motion movies because I was a huge fan of Wallace and Gromit still am. Yeah. And (laughs) it's, uh. I don't know. I can't remember a time where I didn't want to be a part of film, whether it was hmm. uh, by animation or by claymation or stop motion or yeah. I feel like I've gone through all the phases of like where you get interested and then you go through every right. facet and you're like, oh, I want to do this. No, I want to do this. Yeah. But now I'm kind of at a stage of like where I know I want to go and I mm. I feel comfortable in that pursuit. Yeah. So. When did you find out about SCAD and like decide to go to a film school? Because a lot of people, of course, decide to not do that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, No, it's definitely something that uh, is a debated topic, whether film school is needed or not. Um, For me, my parents wanted me to go to an accredited university and get a degree. (laughs) Uh, And I told them, I was like, you know, I could just, move out to Los Angeles or New York or one of these production hub cities where I could just try and make connections. And I'm glad they talked me out of that. Yeah, seriously. Uh, because I just would have been alone. Um, well, now it's like, now we know how hard it is to get a job with a degree. Exactly. And imagine, and not that just it's the degree, but like all the people we met at film school. Yeah, I mean, know? the degree itself is worth about as much as the paper it's printed right. on. <laughs> so the way I found out about SCAD is through... So my mom's a nurse and one of mm-hmm. her patients had mentioned to her because she had been talking about how I wanted to go to film school and she had mentioned SCAD and then I looked into it and I was like, oh, this is pretty interesting. 
Looks like they're really good at selling themselves. Very much so. Um, so <laughs> they're like a master class in marketing. Yes. <laughs> like so on its own. I was I was definitely enticed by their very good marketing skills. Right. And so I thought, you know, I might as well apply here. I I applied to one other state school in Ohio, and I got into the state school. And then I was waiting for a long time to hear back from SCAD because hmm. I had submitted all my documents. And I didn't even know if I had got in, let alone like a scholarship. Right. And when it came to around like the time everyone was receiving um, the acceptance letters, I was like not getting anything. And I was pretty nervous. I was like, yeah, oh, man, well, I guess uh, I guess I'm just going to go to state school and yeah. just ride it out, have a normal college experience, which was there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Um, but then I, th I don't remember what point in the year that it happened, but I ended up getting a call when I was least expecting it and just being told that I was accepted to SCAD. And right. it was like a huge weight off my shoulders. Yeah. I was just like, oh, I got it. It's happening. I can go. Yeah. But it, up to this point, I hadn't even visited the campus. I had wow. only gone to those like seminars where they visit your city and oh, they talk okay. about SCAD. Yeah. Were you nervous at all about that? Or are you just like I was crossing my fingers right. and I was like, "Well, I hope to God it's good." Yeah, exactly. Um, I had done a lot of my own like due diligence and research on like people's opinions and alumni's opinions yeah. on the process that the SCAD film school puts you through. Right. And I feel like I had a decent amount of knowledge going in, having not visited, and then visiting and it actually kind of exceeding some of those expectations. Um, because even looking back, I'm like extremely thankful I had the opportunity yeah. to go to SCAD. I, I don't think I would have wanted to apply really anywhere else mm -hmm. because, you know, while SCAD does have its, its faults, I feel like every school does, but the fact that we had the access to the equipment we did and we could make, we could make whatever project, whatever year we wanted, we didn't have to wait till junior year to start making yeah. stuff. Which is like uncommon, it seems, from what I've just anecdotally, what I've heard from other schools. Exactly. Like you don't get access to the FS7 until junior year. And I think another nice part of SCAD is that it's all art and design based. Right. It's like a lot of people complain about having to take drawing classes or color theory, but I, I just love doing that stuff. And it mm -hmm. just, it all circles back to your major and you can learn so much from those other, while they can be busy work and they can... Mm -hmm pile on a workload for you um it definitely helped circle back into everything you were learning later on right yeah so whenever you get to that environment where you're like surrounded by filmmakers and being taught formally um did it kind of like take off for you because i think that can also be kind of intimidating to like go from from my perspective, like a small town where no one else made movies, it was just me. So everyone thought I did an incredible job because <laughs> they had nothing to compare it to on the, in, like this, you know, indie level. Um, and then it's, it, for me, it was like super exciting to be surrounded by other filmmakers, people who are interested in what I was doing. Did you find, find a similar thing? Yeah, I found a similar thing in that, like at my high school, there really wasn't any other, I mean, there was a few kids that wanted to go into film. Yeah. Um, a few kids, like we definitely had a creative seen in my in my high school um but it was like going it was being a big fish in a small pond and then going right. 
to a much larger like lake and now we're in the ocean now that we're graduated <laughs> yeah exactly and we've only shrunk in size exactly yeah. i feel like a guppy yeah <laughs> The, this title of this, this episode will be A Guppy in the Ocean. A Guppy in the Ocean. With cinematographer Joe Roth. <laughs> so um, what's the first tentpole project for you at SCAD that you think you started realizing what role you want to do? Like, did you go into SCAD knowing director, writer and director? Because you're also like a very talented cinematographer. Um, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do going into it? Or was there a single project that kind of opened up your eyes? I knew absolutely nothing going into SCAD. <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean, I knew I wanted to be like a director in that mm. sense, but I feel like everyone says that coming in. Yeah. Uh, Don't even know what a director actually does. Exactly. Yeah. And it's this uh, nebulous concept that, you know, you're just like, oh, well, I can make all those decisions mm -hmm. and it's an easy task. Why not? <laughs> right. And so easy. <laughs> not realizing it's being the general of this massive army. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know what like a cinematographer was. I'd heard the word thrown around and thinking it was just like a fancy word for film director. Oh, and so I was sense. like, I want to be a cinematographer. <laughs> and it, I, I knew nothing going into SCAD. It, it's amazing that like I thought I wanted to go into film. And then like you, you go, you really go into it and you're like, wow. There's so much more that, yeah. like, I need to know. And it made me fall in love with film again, which was learning all these new things and falling in love with the process and all these details because that's what got me in love with film in the first place mm. was watching these behind-the-scenes featurettes and right. seeing what these roles were or seeing what their processes were to create a story that is enticing to audiences. Mm -hmm. And learning it, learning that on a much finer scale on a macro scale, inspecting every role and seeing what techniques you use in each role was something that I had no knowledge of coming mm -hmm. into SCAD, but going through that process again was so enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. So when do you um, direct your first project at SCAD? Oh, that's hard to say. <laughs> uh, I directed my first project it wasn't at scad but it was while i was a student at scad mm -hmm. so i had written a script at scad for one of my screenwriting classes it was called real people not act real people not actors and i was working with a production company back in cleveland and uh shout out to red bicycle media <laughs> and james bizarro um he had asked me if i had any scripts or anything i wanted to make because they just make commercials mm -hmm. but he was like you know we have all this gear why don't we use it to make something creative yeah like we don't have to we'll just work for free and we'll just make something because why not right and so i showed him this script and he was like this is hilarious let's let's make it and let's get a crew together and so we shot it and <laughs> that was like the first time i wow. had experience like directing a crew by yeah. myself and it was, it was a, it was definitely a learning process because right. it was, you know, there's barking orders that you have to learn or cadence to, um, how you operate on set or in mm -hmm. pre-production and then especially in post-production, there's a, it was just a process of learning those, those ways and how you go through it. Yeah. So that's, I mean, to go from not directing a crew to like, I mean, 
directing a crew at SCAD is is an uh, is an achievement in itself. I feel like, mm-hmm. but we are all amateurs, all learning. So you know, it's still a student film. But was it like adults that you were working with? Like that must have been kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was a, it was a, I mean, a bunch of adults who had been working um, in the commercial industry for a little bit, um, mm-hmm. kind of as like their side gigs. Um, some of them right. it was their full time. But it, I mean, they knew a whole lot more than I did Yeah. Uh, in that realm. Um, and I was basically just coming in, offering the script and the idea of the story yeah and they were just helping me like okay so if we want to get this this way mm-hmm. um this is how we're gonna have to do it and working with me and they were they were very generous and yeah lending their time and their assistance with helping me walk through and jump through a lot of those hoops yeah um when did you start going like the dp route and started filming some more stuff because that's a very i mean it's not and it's not a, like a 180 degree difference from directing, but you know, it's certainly a different path and you kind of work in all three paths, writing, directing, and being a cinematographer. Yeah. So I did not expect to want to be a director of photography or I honestly didn't have any idea what a director of photography was. Didn't know it was a key role before coming into SCAD. Um, and then, you know, after learning about the position and realizing that, you know, I had been shooting a lot of stuff by myself yeah. before high school and or before SCAD in high school. And um, like I had learned a lot of those techniques or the things I was doing was already what a director of mm-hmm. photography was doing just because it was like a one man band type thing. Yeah. But once I was in SCAD and I learned about the position, uh, there was a few projects that it was either for like a production lighting and field class that I was just like, the or no it was film 100 actually mm. and i ended up being the dp for our, one of our film 100 projects and it just i don't know i just fell in love with the process of shooting and being like oh this frame is pretty right. why how can we use the visual sense of this frame to elicit an emotion or insinuate or have subtlety to it mm-hmm. that uh subconsciously um, is telling the audience what the story is really about. Right. Um, so I want to talk about your short film, Full Circle, which are we allowed to reveal that it's a Tungsten original now? Yeah. Okay. It's a Tungsten original. <laughs> <laughs> by by way of you now being a part of a part of Tungsten. Um, Full Circle is uh, the most recent thing you've written and directed, right? Yes. Um, it's a really interesting film. I, I really, really like it. It's like shot pov style and you know we'll show some footage on screen so if you're watching the video episode you'll see some of that um but before we you know dive into the process of making it can you explain what full circle is about to people who may not know so full circle is as wes said it's a film a short film that i shot at scad um that is a shot from pov it is all just point of view and uh it takes place over the course of a whole person's life and i guess the log line that i keep giving people is that it's the it's an ode to the moments in life that make us who we are mm-hmm. it's quite poetic yes <laughs> it's the the narrative is loose and the right it's more about like just how it makes you feel um, yeah yeah so when you're coming up with this idea 
like you're not the dp of that you know you were the writer and director of it did you find yourself wanting to like shoot it yourself um, or were you excited to work with someone else and like dictate that to someone i was excited to dictate that to someone else but you know there's part of me that's always like this is how i see it and this is yeah. how like i'd obviously made the decision that it has to be a point of view film right. and it's like that singular camera um, right so it's it, there was you know times where i was just like very specific in like what a shot has to be mm-hmm. um but other than that like i think that lended itself well to having worked with the deep the dp that i did noah custer who's a fabulous director of photography um and he he and i just worked really well together because you know i knew the language i knew what i wanted and i could easily translate that to him and he was super excited to work on the project Mm -hmm. so i think having that prior knowledge and it just makes for a more collaborative workflow especially with the dp yeah and especially with such a specific style of filming that is like quote unquote non-traditional yeah like you need to have a really fluid communication with them so what like that was the second thing that you wrote and directed like after starting to learn getting your formal film education Mm -hmm. you know um what do you think was the biggest lesson that full circle taught you because going from that you know that project back home in ohio to full circle like very different it's a it's a very different style of film it's obviously more serious and less comedic um i'm sure that was like a really healthy learning experience yeah what do you think is the biggest takeaway you got from that as a filmmaker biggest takeaway was that i think what clicked with me with full circle which really helped me finish the film was that uh this sentiment that i either heard from a professor or i read it somewhere that um Feature films are to novels as short films are to po- poems. So when I was having trouble with writing the story and coming up with this almost a non-narrative right. uh, story, I was like, there's got to be an arc. There's got to be this. There's got to be that. And it's got to have the three-act structure. And it's got to have <laughs> exposition. And yeah, I kind of threw all that out the window once I heard that sentiment and I was kind of romanticizing this um philosophy that it it just has to make the audience feel something and insert an idea in their brain Hmm. and the vehicle by which you do that doesn't have to be in this box right i think that can be a really limiting structure to try to build a short film under because there's only so much you can do and i mean a short film can be like you know i think they say a a feature film is once you hit 40 minutes but like you know there's only so much you can do in like a 10 minute short film to have like all these character arcs and, yeah you know like it's and i think that's why people in short films like to do the plot twist at the end just because it's, right it's such an easy the punchline film yeah exactly yeah yeah i mean so a lot of the times you know you can see it work and sometimes you mm-hmm. don't see it work but it's yeah typically in short films you'll see more like twist endings Mm -hmm. than any other kind of ending right so what does the script look like for full circle since it is loose a loose narrative yeah so i basically it was basically a beat sheet honestly oh yeah that's what i was imagining so it was just like i'd outlined the story that i wanted to capture 
So I knew everything, like every scene that I wanted to go through in this person's life. And when we were going through auditions, I explained like how this film was going to be shot. And I spoke with the actors and I was like, look, this is going to be a looser production in that I do have lines for you and I do have things that I want you to say and there's there's dialogue, but I want you to live in this character as much as possible yeah. and make these moments as natural as possible, almost right. as if someone had found someone's old family footage, picked it up and just saw like 10 seconds from whatever moment was going on in that, that time in their life. Yeah. So I think it required just a lot of collaboration and communication amongst mm -hmm. uh, me and the cast and just all the crew in general. It was a very small crew, which lends itself to a more intimate set. Yeah. How do you then, because, you know, film is requires such structure and such organization in terms of like the production logistics side of it. So <laughs> how do you keep it organized and make sure you don't miss things? Like in the same way that your script was um, mostly just a beat sheet, was the shot list a similar thing? Or were you like able to be more specific with that since you are a DP? Oh, it was a madhouse. I mean, we we still had gotcha. um, we still had a shot list. And we still had a schedule. Um, okay. I think that I think the thing that made it the hardest, as far as scheduling goes, was getting different time periods or different ages. Yeah. With um, these locations, so we had since this film full circle goes through this whole person's life, we had to have babies, toddlers, right slightly older kids, teenage kids, and then adults. Yeah. And then parents throughout that. And that whole process of like having, it felt like I had a nursery or a family <laughs> reunion going on in my house. So having a film with uh, differing age ranges, especially in a short film when you're switching so quickly. Um, yeah. We had maybe four days to shoot with like, I, I think it was like 30 to 40 different scenes that wait shot. four days for the whole thing we had four days for the whole thing wow it wasn't because we had that's to, insane we had to end uh we ended up canceling uh our first weekend we were supposed to shoot two weekends and we had to cancel that due to um actor availability and crew availability and just a lot of other factors. I think the film, just, film school problems. Yeah, exactly. I think it was just the amount of uh, stuff that was happening at SCAD at that time because yeah. Film Fest was also happening that weekend. Right. And it was just, and the, the reason that it was so jam packed was because I had to get it done that quarter because mm. it was also a project for a class that I okay. had to turn it in. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't like I could just push it off and be like, oh, well, it makes sense to. Yeah you know, film this later in the year when we have more time for prep. Or if you want the seasons to change and Season, that kind of it, stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Like, that would have been awesome if right. we could get the seasons to change, um, get snow in Savannah. Yeah, exactly. It's so common. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, huh. yeah, the, oh yeah, working with the kids. So yeah, we're, having to work with like a ton of kids was definitely an eye opener. <laughs> Um, it's a very professional way to put it. Uh, yes, yeah, very. Uh, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, working with kids was definitely a learning experience. Mm. Um, no, we had three three babies, a set of twins, and 
a goat. The twin twin toddlers and uh, uh, two other younger kids that were around mm-hmm. like 10 years old. Man. And it was just, it, it was a madhouse for a little bit. Yeah. Because like if one baby starts crying, all the kids start crying. And right. It's like, Oof. Yeah. And my roommates were just like, wow, we uh, <laughs> should not have agreed. We do to not this. appreciate you <laughs> as a roommate. Yeah, seriously. So how like how is the interaction on set between you the cast and noah your dp because again it's it's pov like yes there's dialogue but um again it's just all just non-traditional it's not how you typically how how things are typically done so like you must have been really on your feet tending being a babysitter (laughs) literally at some points and then like also because your your actor must have been the camera operator yes. in a way. So how did yeah. you like do the rigs and everything? So for the kids, um, cause there's a shot where they pick up the baby. Yeah. We'll put that on screen. <laughs> yeah. So for the shot that they picked up the baby, they didn't actually pick up the baby. Uh, they were just picking up the camera and looking at it and then just pretending like it's a baby, uh, mm. and just getting like that performance right. to match if they were actually picking up the baby right. but isn't there one shot where it's like from the pov of, of of a person picking up the baby i feel like i've seen that um there's a shot in the film where we do have like there's a baby sitting at a kitchen table and it starts like messing with its birthday cake okay um and that was literally just setting the camera in front of the baby's face <laughs> <laughs> just for like you know 10 seconds right. and uh letting mom, it be a mom baby was, yeah, yeah letting it be a baby mom was right there and right it was it those shots went pretty smoothly there was also the the toddler walking shot where like right you, you see the feet of the toddler and it seems like you know it's the point of view of the toddler but we we're basically just like hugging the toddler from behind and getting shots of his feet and just orienting the camera yeah in every which way that he would be looking because we didn't want to obviously rig up anything on the kids because it just the be baby too would heavy. collapse. Yeah. yeah, the baby would collapse, <laughs> and so would the toddlers. But we were able, like on the on the twelve year olds, um, we were able to get uh, our helmet rig on them, and we mm. tested it out. We made sure it was safe. We even had like a little like neck padding just to make sure that oh, the yeah. neck wouldn't get tired. And immediately after uh, shooting a scene, we would immediately take it off and yeah. be like, "Yeah, I feel fine." Yeah. Um, like the birds like flying around the head yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it was this really cool helmet rig that is just basically a bike helmet but with yeah just all these camera attachments so we we're able to mount our black magic pocket 4k in mm. camera <laughs> that's a very uh i feel like every filmmaker has to make something with the black magic pocket it's like a rite of passage at least for our generation yes, yes. exactly exactly so again i asked the question what did that shoot teach you making full circle i think it just taught me time is everything yeah you there's always like if you think you can sit down and just rest you can (laughs) there's something you could be doing there's something you could be emailing or someone you could be emailing yeah there's additions or fine combing through the script that you could be making and that's not to say that rest isn't required like you need to rest you need to have that off time to be able to step away from your project get some perspective and look at it from a new angle 
and be able to critique the work that you've done so far. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, if you're just going to sit there and writer's block the whole time, you're not going to get anything done. So yeah. you need to go out, experience life, but at the same time, anytime that you're available to work, that you're not feeling that writer's block or not feeling in a rut, you should be working and getting mm -hmm. on top of it. And I think that's like something that I learned is just the most valuable asset that you have is time. Yeah. It's the one asset you cannot buy more of. Exactly. Yeah. You also wrote Pink, which is a Tungsten original uh, that... I got to help out on as like the BTS video person, um, the great Sam Shoemaker directed it. Why did you not want to direct that or not want to DP that and only be the writer? Um, that was actually just uh, something that Sam had come to me with. Okay. She was looking for a script and she knew that I liked to write. And yeah, um, I had pitched her a few ideas of scripts I had already written and she was looking to make something for her senior thesis. So I was like, I've got these scripts that are already written and then I've got these ideas that I don't have written. So any of these sound enticing to you. And so I sent her, uh, she, she sounded interested in pink, mm -hmm. which was already written at the time, but it was a, it was a much different story uh, right, than what went, it ended up being. Y'all went to like 25 giraffes or something like that. Yeah, it was, <laughs> uh, I mean... 25 drafts of like just minor yeah like minor tweaks i think the main differences were like in the first like four drafts okay where it like really changed the story the story that i or the script that i gave her in the beginning was actually more of like not a horrifying story but it was an it was an unsettling story and there was kind of i guess there was more horror aspects to it as mm. opposed to what there is now in the final version yeah um but that, that was something that I just wrote in my free time and mm -hmm. just shelved it. Didn't really think too much about it. Didn't think anyone would be interested in it. Mm -hmm. And then someone came along, they were looking for a script and I was, I was happy to oblige them with that script. Yeah. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about what Pink is? Like what, it, what it's about, the story behind it? Yeah. So Pink is a story about a boy whose father uh, passes away suddenly and he experiences uh, hallucinations of the color pink overtaking his world, uh, which is basically just a manifestation of his grief mm -hmm. and dealing with what it means to lose someone and come to the realization that death is a part of life. And right. it's not necessarily something that we should be afraid of, but rather embrace. Yeah. I want to dive into your philosophies on storytelling because I think we have very similar views and like the kind of stories we want to make. Um, I mean, you wouldn't really be at Tungsten if that was not the case, but with, um, with full circle and pink and blueberries, like, you know, they're not of course the same stories and they're filmed differently. And, you know, they obviously have their major differences, but I feel like there's a through line about just honest stories that are like character driven narratives that are like just about real things about life. Those aren't like sci-fi movies. They're not, I mean, if pink was originally, like you said, more horror, but, um, there, it's just a lot of like family drama kind of stuff. Why is that the type of story that you're most drawn to? And I also feel like it's similar in like the type of media that we enjoy. I mean, I know this much is true is obviously like one of our favorite things we've talked about, you know, first man and those kinds of movies, like they have the similar through line of of what is at their core why is that 
what you were drawn to. I think I knew I liked smaller stories when I um, found out how much I loved Lord of the Rings and just how much <laughs> of a like small independent yeah. uh, <laughs> film that is. Uh, Lord I, of the Rings, Indiana <laughs> Jones, <laughs> Star Wars. Exactly. Small, intimate. Small, intimate. Those intimate stories yeah. that uh, you just fall in love with. Yeah. Um, no, I think, I mean, while I do love those films right. and... The, they're incredible. Lord of the Rings is a masterpiece. Um, there's something about these small, intimate stories that almost speak much louder. Uh, right. They're, they may they might be small in scale, but as far as emotional impact, they're far greater to me. Um, maybe it's just because I can more easily connect to it mm -hmm. because it's a grounded story. Um, but I like seeing, um, so I actually figured this out recently. Um, the more specific name for the genre that I really am drawn to and it's uh, magical realism. And I've noticed that like a lot of, it's very consistent with the movies that I hold close to my heart. Um, so like, for example, a lot of magical realism movies like big fish or, a lot of Charlie Kaufman films where things mm. are just, they're planted in reality, but for the sake of being poetic about certain things or being um, just upping the ante for the sake of storytelling mm. and um, almost in the way that maybe a novel would, mm -hmm. um, that you can use these plot devices or story elements that can increase um, the impact of the media that is film mm -hmm. wow i've never heard of that term before that's interesting would you describe like would like blueberries and pink and that kind of stuff i'd fall say into that as well pink is definitely magical realism yeah blueberries i would not say is magical realism yeah I'd say that's very much in reality right um because there, there has to be that like magical element to it okay um whereas you know pink gotcha. it's the manifestation of like the color pink overtaking his anxiety right and um i'm trying to think of a good example in film like with big fish have you seen big fish i have not i haven't even heard of it you would really like big fish yeah i gotta say if <laughs> uh have you seen edward scissorhands i know of it i have not seen it it's a good example of magical realism okay um gotcha somewhat grounded in reality i mean that's kind of like on the fringes of yeah that's hardly reality but <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> gotcha so whenever you're like getting approached to work on a project as a dp what does it need for you to agree to it to, to commit that time like why did you agree to work on blueberries as a dp it was and don't take it back <laughs> we shoot in a few weeks <laughs> first off let me explain what blueberries is because there may be some people listening to this that that don't know probably not at this point because i've talked about it so much but blueberries was going to be my thesis film at scad uh it's about alzheimer's family and living in the moment so it's a, a simple family drama about how alzheimer's can affect a family and uh we shoot in a few weeks yeah so it's exciting but like what about that I don't say this to ask you to blow smoke up my ass, but I will never turn that down. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, really, like, uh, what draws, like, projects like that, what is it, what draws it to you? Well, with Blueberries, when you had asked me to shoot, um, you 
sent me the script and uh, I, I believe sometime senior or junior year. Uh, oh, yeah, I think because I originally reached out to you to be the, the DP. It's probably senior year, maybe um, late junior, early senior year. Yeah. Something like that. Um, I forgot about that. And you had asked me and I had told you, like, my plate was already You said, full. I hate you. I said, I hate you. Do not talk to me. Please don't talk to me. Um, <laughs> and a bunch of other derogatory terms. <laughs> yeah. But I remember I was just like kind of swamped with whatever I was doing at the time. It was yeah. probably full circle. And right. I was planning on doing some other things in the winter or the spring. And I just knew that like I couldn't bring on it any other projects yeah. at that point and that i declined you before i even read the script so that's a, that's another lesson i've learned is <laughs> do not decline before you've read the script right. because otherwise i would have made room <laughs> yeah. for this to work because then we had senior two together which again for non-scad people senior one is effectively uh your pre-production for your thesis film senior two is production for your thesis film senior three is post-production that's a very rough like a broad term of what those mean but yeah. we had senior two together so we were in production mode for blueberries and you were in production mode for pink mm -hmm. and, of, and in senior two we do like table reads and script revisions and all that kind of stuff yeah and i think ha having the chance to really like read blueberries after <laughs> having already declined the project because i was too busy um i was like gosh i was like hitting myself i was like i really like this story it's small it's intimate but i could see what you're trying to say and what you're trying to get across yeah. and it was just those stories with truth and yeah. that was really what stood out to me in that script of yours was that you know it's from personal experience mm. experience and you did it in such an eloquent way that it, it drew me in, I could immediately see it visually. And mm. I think that was the biggest part because you'd asked me to be the director of photography and I could see it so vividly while I was reading it. And I was like, man, I want to shoot this. <laughs> I am so... Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and here we are. And here we are. Over a year later. So we're, we've been... Uh, Joe and Reagan, Reagan is the fantastic DP, um, or not DP, Reagan is the fantastic. Reagan's the DP now. <laughs> Joe is fired. Uh, Reagan is the producer for Blueberries and Joe and Reagan have been in town for a week to prep for Blueberries and do a lot of tungsten stuff. Um, I'm curious, how does the conversations we've been having in our camera test and all that kind of stuff compare to that original visualization? Because the script has changed a ton. Obviously we're adding a new scene at the beginning and all that kind of stuff. But like, how does it compare, you think? Uh, I think if anything, it's only gotten me more, um, like the same feeling is still there for the script. Like my yeah. initial face value feeling that I got from the first read is still there. It's just grown into something that's a lot more rich and has yeah. a lot more nuance to it in the way that like, I've learned more about your background. I've learned more about right. where this script has come from and what it means to you. And also a lot has happened to you revolving right. around this script that it's made you grow as a person yeah and i think that's also evolved like the way we're looking at the story mm -hmm. and how we want to tell it because in the end the way we shoot it is just another way of like how we're trying to make the audience feel in the end mm -hmm. and how you want to make the audience feel in the end i feel like has slightly changed 
based on yeah, what definitely. you've gone through in the past year. Definitely. It absolutely has for the better. I think mm-hmm. I, I mean the, the current, like today we're, we're finally going to be, you know, hitting export on the next draft. We've been doing a lot of revisions recently and comparing it to what the version we would have shot, like not that it was bad, but it's just leaps and bounds more to like what I want to do. So I am, you know, it's kind of a blessing in disguise that COVID happened and made me think about the script for basically a year because now I'm much mature and just a better writer and director in general. So I'm, I'm glad we're like shooting it at the time that we are. Mississippi is, is often a character in my films. Uh, it's where I'm from. It influences my, my life so intensely. I, every, every friend I have knows I'm from Mississippi uh, and they probably get annoyed at me pointing that out. This is your first time being in Mississippi. How do you think that enhances um, like being here and, and feeling it, this is the motion that I give, <laughs> the, the holding the weight of it. <laughs> How does that enhance your perspective as, as, a, as a guest, you know, as a guest here and as, and as someone who's like having a really huge influence on the story? Um, I mean, it's helped me immensely get inside like the whole, my job on this film is to get inside your mind and just see what you're seeing and see how things. you experience it. Exactly. <laughs> and steal it and make it mine. <laughs> and you're doing a great job uh, <laughs> so far. Um, but it's like being here where like the story is taking place and every seeing the elements of Mississippi that have made you who you are and the elements of Mississippi that have made blueberries what it is have just told me so much more about it's just finding those other small details and clues that just Mm -hmm. make the story what it is and give it its charm yeah like i was so excited to reagan had been here in november when like the first location scout for blueberries but i was so excited for y'all both to be here because there's just some stuff that it's like you got to be there to know what i'm talking about (laughs) like the back roads listening to the music the the playlist that i have for for blueberries being in my house that's like riddled with family paintings and listening to my dad's stories, all that kind of stuff. Like, um, I'm really glad we're doing it this way. Cause I don't think that can be replicated. Like again, those we're not going to have scenes really in terms of blueberries, like of people driving along the back roads. Like it's not a one-to-one, this is going to be in the film. Yeah. But I think for everyone to be on the same page on the story we're telling, like it would be very different. I think if we were in Savannah. Yeah. And I also think it's it's important that you're true and you're honest to what your story is mm-hmm. because I've noticed that you can't go too in detail. The more detail you have or the more specific the elements in your story get, the more universal it becomes. Right. Wow. Poetry. <laughs> <laughs> so we both graduated last year. Hell of a year to graduate. Uh, college in general. Um and you moved out to LA and now you're working as a freelance filmmaker. How has that experience been going from, you know, getting to have access to all this equipment and, and create the, the flowery poetic things you want to create, <laughs> you know, to the freelance world. I mean, I know the freelance struggle is difficult. It's difficult to make it that way. So I'm sure that's been a huge growing experience for you as a, as a filmmaker. Yeah. It's not all sunshine and daisies. And- yeah poetry and flowers (laughs) it uh no it's it's been a uh quite the trek out to los angeles um 
I mean, I've enjoyed every step of it, making yeah. it out there. I'm lucky enough to room with some great guys uh, that I knew at SCAD. And they are also filmmakers, so I'm mm -hmm. surrounded by film. Um, so it gives me people to like work ideas off of or also work with on their ideas. So it's something we're always talking about. And um, as far as like the freelance is going, with COVID, it's a little hard, but right. the, the most work I've been doing is actually from not really in Los Angeles itself. Like I've worked on a few sets here and there, but I've been doing like a lot of editing or mm -hmm. coloring for people either in Atlanta, New York, or Savannah. Yeah. So it's just been kind of all over the place, but I think, you know, good thing we have the internet because yeah. otherwise like <laughs> right. these freelance jobs would just be super hard. Yeah. And uh, just transferring footage nowadays is super easy. Yeah, exactly. Shout out to Frame.io. Shout out to Frame.io. The backbone. Get your 10% off. Frame.io? Frame.io. At frame.io.com. No, it's just frame.io. Frame.io slash. I wish this was a real sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, if you're looking for a good file management system, there's literally nothing better than frame.io. So free plug for Frame.io. <laughs> it's good, but I wouldn't go that far because I haven't used too many other ones. That's fair. <laughs> it's better than Google Drive, yes, which is, is the only other yes. thing. It's better than Google Drive. Yes, but that's a pretty low bar to pass. <laughs> so um, do you like, I, I know you're still getting your footing in the freelance world. Is, is the dream to purely be freelance or would you want to work at like a small production company, um, you know, with a full-time gig? Mm-hmm. Um, so I have my like major goal, like lifetime goal is to write and direct features. Mm -hmm. That'd be awesome. I would love that. I'm not really in any super rush to get there. Yeah. Um, so for right now, like those minor goals or like those stepping stones, mm -hmm. like right now I, I like doing freelance, but I think the next step is probably working for one of these production companies in Los Angeles, whether it be a commercial agency or any of these other types of companies mm -hmm. um, just because getting those connections uh, outside of the hubs that I already have, um, I'm trying to like plant more roots in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. So like I said uh, at the top of this episode, you are a producer at Tungsten, one of the first official members of the Tungsten team. Um, I know we've had you on the podcast before in the first podcast back in 2021, uh, where I interview you and Joe, you and Joe, the yeah, other Joe. I'm Reagan. Hello, Reagan. <laughs> uh, you and Reagan are on the podcast in that episode. And we, we get into a little bit of like why y'all joined Tungsten, but you and I have just had so many conversations about our philosophies on the industry, um, and storytelling that like, I, I want to go into it a little bit more because I think there's more there that we haven't touched on. Um, you know, whenever I reached out to Reagan to be on the podcast or to be a part of Tungsten, you know, like that the whole idea behind that phone call was for me to pitch to her being a producer at Tungsten. Ours was like, our conversation was a little bit more happenstance. I don't remember why I called you, but we just happened to have a phone call that went for like two and a half hours, just catching up. We hadn't spoken in a while since last summer. And you were just very adamant about like your love for tungsten, which was very nice, and you're wanting to be involved. And it was kind of like a no-brainer to me. <laughs> I don't know why I hadn't thought about it before, but I was like, well, that just makes so much sense. Um, so 
you know, again, not to just fluff what tungsten is, but like, why did you want to be, you know, on the team and what were you hoping that you could bring to the table? So I, re I remember the call you're talking about, and I think you were calling talking about, um, you wanted me to color grade. Oh yeah, the music uh, video. The music video. Right, that's it. The Broken Wing um, music video, which will be out soon. Good music video. <laughs> Very excited. It's for my brother. Shout out Warren. Warren Givens. Look yeah. him up. Yes, that's my last name. <laughs> Is look him up. Is look him up. <laughs> Warren Givens, look him up. <laughs> what was the uh, original question? <laughs> <laughs> It was, who do you think you are? Uh, Joseph. <laughs> no, like, what did you, uh, why did you want to be officially a part of Tungsten? Like, what did you want to bring to the table? Yeah. So. This is your performance review. <laughs> I think with, um, like, honestly, just seeing, like, how much momentum you had with the podcast and how much passion you had in interviewing um, all these different artists and filmmakers, whether they were producers, directors, DPs, production designers, um, and so on and so forth, you had just picked up all this knowledge from all these people and you were just sharing it with the world. And it felt like the sharing of this knowledge is just something I really uh, am passionate about as mm -hmm. far as, you know, just education in general. Mm -hmm. But the fact that it was also about filmmaking, you're like hitting two things yeah. that I'm like very um, passionate about. Yeah. And I think the ideas and philosophies that Tungsten uh, supports, uh, be it, you know, supporting independent filmmakers and trying to make a change in the industry that makes filmmaking an actual livable career and a career that you can not only just try and make blockbuster movies with but mm -hmm. movies that raise more questions than answers uh movies that make us look at the world in a new perspective and see things more intimately mm. um and i think we shared that uh that love for movies and stories yeah. like that and we spoke about that on that call for a long time and i just really wanted to express it because i just i don't know i had been thinking about it for a while because i had noticed you know with covid going on Tungsten hadn't really yeah. released any podcasts. Yeah. Um, it basically went dark for a long time. It went dark for time. a little bit. Yeah. And so the I The light just, bulb was turned off. Yeah. And it, it, like, I was, <laughs> really? th I was thinking about it. Yeah. And I hadn't forgotten about Tungsten. And I was like, I had all this hope for it, you know, before COVID happened. Mm -hmm. So I've talked a lot about my personal dreams for Tungsten and what I hope the future of Tungsten to become. Um, but... You know, I want to talk about your dreams for Tungsten because obviously it's not just me here. Uh, I brought you and Reagan on for a reason because I like your ideas and I like how y'all work and your philosophies on the industry. So what are your personal dreams for what the future of Tungsten can become? Well, I hope to see Tungsten get to a point where it's able to help independent filmmakers create their stories and uh, those independent filmmakers who otherwise would not have the means to do so, which is kind of our calling card statement. But yeah, um, I'm not just reading that off. It's mainly just a philosophy that I truly believe in, that it's something that I truly believe that there's creative people out there with amazing ideas who have perspectives that need to be heard 
that could really help change the way the world sees um, different aspects of life and help us grow mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways because movies have impacted people in so many different ways in life. And one of the most beautiful things is that the medium is so democratized now that anyone right. can see movies. And if you get out a very honest story and you can share that perspective with even just a couple thousand people, mm-hmm. like if you're just changing their minds on something or giving them just a new perspective or new yeah. opinion. Posing a question. Posing a question and just making them think a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It, I think that could change the way people view the world. Yeah. And, you know, I I hope in the next, uh, I mean, I think in the next like couple months, we're going to be announcing some things that hint at that goal or, or our steps towards that goal. And I definitely see us making bigger strides in that when we have the means and the resources to in the next few years. So um, I love that. Uh, now we've covered the entirety of your career um, from how you got started to living out in LA now. Um, I, I want to zoom out a little bit and kind of hear like, what is the thing that keeps you going? I don't necessarily mean like a career goal or like a specific job you want to have or a specific like project you want, you want to make. Cause we all have those of course, but I'm curious, like what is the North star that is keeping you going that encourages you to keep creating things? It's a good question. <laughs> Thank you. So what keeps me going and what keeps me creating things? Yeah. And why? Because, you know, like I obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, but like I want to make features, of course. Um, I think we all have those kinds of goals that are more specific. You know, I want to be a feature director. I want to be a feature DP or whatever. Or I want to make documentaries like, you know, whatever it may be. But I think everyone has a philosophy to the kind of life they want to live and the kind of change that they want to implement and i think it's like an amalgamation of like every part of you like me being from mississippi being so passionate about storytelling and truth and you know science and we've been talking about like (laughs) misinformation and all that kind of stuff like my north star is an amalgamation of those things you know so um it's a it's a nebulous question but uh i think everyone knows deep down like what that answer is i think for me especially just thinking about it now and the way you described it was good. What keeps me going and what keeps me wanting to create is not only just the itch that I have to create with my hands and create, uh, whether it be designs or compositions or art or just storytelling in general. I think what's beautiful about film as a medium is that it can, you can remove oneself from the reality you're currently living in and then enter a whole new world and empathize with all the people, whether it's the villain or the hero, you can empathize in really good stories and good storytelling. You can empathize with both. Mm -hmm. You can see both sides of the same coin and it can give you a whole new perspective and then you can apply that to the real world. Right. And I think that is such important storytelling and gets us to empathize with each other a little bit more. And that's something that, especially nowadays when everyone's very divisive, is something that we need a lot more of. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Well, I have no doubt that you will achieve that goal. And I hope Tungsten can be helpful in doing that. I am so happy to have you and Reagan on board. The things we've been able to accomplish since y'all have been brought on has been incredible. And we've got some exciting announcements uh, just around the corner. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just, I, I fully, fully believe that we will be able to achieve these great things, you know, that we discuss all the time. So very happy to have you on board and very happy to have you on the podcast. This has been a long time coming and it's nice to get to pick your brain about these things on the record because um, now it's admissible in court. And that's really the whole... I plead the fifth. <laughs> um, everyone, thank you for watching or listening to this episode. If you only listen to it, you should check out the video version on our YouTube channel. Um, we've been putting a lot of effort into those. And uh, yeah, you can go into the comments and pitch questions. If if you or if you want to be on the podcast or if you want to pitch a guest, you know, or any kind of comp topics you want us to cover, please comment that because I want this podcast to reflect the audience and I want you to have some say in it. And you know, the YouTube comments are the best way to do that. You can also DM us on Instagram, Twitter, email us, whatever, whatever you, whatever you want to do to give us that feedback. It's very, very welcome. Um, new episodes come out every Monday at 9am. We've got some exciting announcements around the corner next month at the top of July. And uh, when this comes out, I think we'll be filming blueberries. So check out the blueberries, Instagram. We'll be posting a lot of BTS content. Joe's website is in the description. Hire him. He is available. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> he's, he's, he's ready. His rates are very low. He'll work for nothing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just bread. Just bread. Bread and milk. Maybe toasted. <laughs> he, he can't afford a toaster yet. Um, <laughs> but Joe, thank you for being on. This has been a lot of fun. Appreciate and, it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. We'll see you in the next one. 